Thank you very much. Lovely to be with you again. Yes, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bible, please. I don't know. It's, it's about predestination or predestined, the word appears. I don't know if that's anybody's favorite word. Predestined. Anybody? Uh, it's in our passage today, Ephesians 1 verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Anyone excited about some deep theology this morning? I, I understand you're studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians over the next two years. And for some of you, uh, Ephesians might be very new. For others, you've maybe heard it taught many times. It is one of the more well-known letters of Paul, I would say, in the New Testament. Especially, you know, chapter 4 is all about church unity. And chapter 5 is all about husbands loving their wives. That's a particular favorite of many wives. And chapter 6 is about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. You know some of those famous passages? But we, we, so should we not just leave these early chapters to the theologians and skip to the good stuff in, part, in the second half? What do you think? Take a vote. If only it was that simple, right? I think maybe the original Christians that this letter was written to actually thought it was a bit like that. You know, as you've already discovered in your studies, these Christians lived in the important city of Ephesus. They had busy lives with work pressures. They had family responsibilities, a lot like us. And what they thought was they needed some good practical ministry to help them with the real problems of everyday life. But instead, Paul begins with this deep theology about predestination, because that's what they really needed. And Paul, led by the Spirit, detected a real danger in this church, that they were beginning to think that church was somewhat peripheral, that Sunday morning only, and that the really important things of life happened on a Monday to a Saturday with their work and their families and their social lives and their friends. And what they needed was just some good, simple, practical teaching, but instead, Paul says, what you need is to understand predestination. So if predestination is something you feel you, you don't really know about, well then, that's exactly what you need to know about. If it's something you feel you don't need to know about, it's definitely what you need to know about. So let us try to understand this, uh, uh, this passage in Ephesians, and we're going to turn to chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and read it carefully to try to understand what Paul is saying, especially those of us who want to skip this part, okay? So from verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, there's that word, us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved." 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul is answering the question here, why did God create the universe? What did he do it all for? What was his reason for it? Maybe that's not something we think about very often, you know, once or twice in our lifetime, we're mowing the lawn or we're clearing out the dishwasher again and we think, what is all this for? And then we dismiss it and get on with it. But we shouldn't because God is trying to explain to us here in this passage the purpose of everything. And we need to have an answer. What if your five-year-old comes up and starts asking you loads of questions? I'm going to act just like a proverbial five-year-old just now who asks perpetual questions. So if I start really simple and say, how was your week, Daddy, Mommy? The normal answer is busy, isn't it? Busy. And then they say, why? And you say, well, you, I've got work. I've got you kids to look after. I have to go here and do this. Why? Well, what do you mean, why? I, why did I go to work to make, put food on this table to look, you know, look after you all? And then he, they say, why? Well, the bring you up so you can, you know, have a life as well. And you can grow up and get a job. Why? Well, to put food on your table. So, why? So at this point, the parent expires from too many questions. But we do need to have an answer. At least Paul thinks we do. What is the point actually behind it all? And this is why this should be our favorite word. Should be up there with our favorite words at least. Predestined. Pre, pre means before, doesn't it? Pre, before. Before the world was even created, before any of it. Destined. There was a destiny in mind. In the one who created it. That's, that's what that word means. Predestined. It just means before the whole thing started, God knew where it was going. Don't let the theologian spoil this word for you by making it all complicated. Here's the actual definition of predestination according to Wikipedia. Predestination in theology is the doctrine that all events have been willed by God, usually with reference to the eventual fate of the individual soul. Explanations of predestination often seek to address the paradox of free will, whereby God's omniscience seems incompatible with human free will. In this usage, predestination can be regarded as a form of religious determinism. Oh, no wonder, right? Christians have been trying to avoid this word. 
I'm glad Paul is far simpler than Wikipedia, right? That's not what Paul means by this term. He is not teaching that God has predetermined every every action that uh, takes place in this world and predestined certain individuals for salvation and others to be lost. Paul is talking about creation in general. Life and history is going somewhere. It's got a predestination. That's what he means, predestiny. And, it, and this destiny was in the mind of God before the whole project began. began. God, Paul means that God had a plan. You know, and, and if you want to know what that is, you just look at the previous verse, verse 11. He tells us what the plan is. Or verse 10, sorry, previous to verse 11. Verse 10, in the fullness of time, God is going to unite. That means sum up all things in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. God says, this is where everything is going. This is the destination I had in mind before I began the whole thing. God's plan is for the Lord Jesus to bring everything together and make sense of it all in him. It's that simple. You know this word unite here? It means sum up. Apparently, this is what an orator, a speaker would do in the ancient world whenever they're giving a great speech. During their speech, they would make lots of points about this and that. And then at the end, they would unite all those points into one conclusion. They would sum it all up. They would recap and conclude and show that each of their seemingly random points were all necessary in the overall argument. And God is saying in the fullness of time, Christ is going to be the great orator. The universe is like a, a giant great speech that God is making throughout all the ages about himself, about sin, about salvation, about everything. Uh, To us, it seems random. It seems chaotic. Like all the the ages of history, all the, the nations and the events that have taken place, there seems to be no sense, no conclusion, no common thread, no one in control. But in the fullness of time, look, as a plan for the fullness of time, when history has said its final piece, has made its final point, then Christ is going to step onto the stage of history like a great orator and show that how every single piece of God's creation, every phase of history has been deliberately designed by God to say something. He's going to sum it all up to show what it was all about and make sure everybody understands where history has been going all along. That is some destiny. I can't wait to hear that speech. Christ will finally answer all of our why questions. Maybe some here have some why questions burning deep within them that have never had an answer. The Lord will answer them all. Why he allowed those world wars that we're thinking about today Why he allowed our loved one to die? Predestined means that life is not meaningless. It is not random chance with no rhyme or reason. In the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus will explain everything. It's predestined should be our favorite word. That's what I'm saying. Everything is gonna make sense. 
This is all one big sentence here from from verses 3 to 14. Paul is evidently very excited. He doesn't even pause for breath as he goes from verse 3 down to verse 14. Because when he wrote this, God's plan had recently taken a huge leap forward. Because he goes on to explain here in verse 11 that the Jewish people had been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, for centuries. And as Paul says, they had put their hope in Christ. That's what the Jewish nation was, was made for in a sense, to wait for this Messiah who would come and would explain everything, would make sense of everything. And they had hoped in that. And now Paul says the Messiah has come, has arrived. And he says, we, we Jews, we have obtained an inheritance in him. So look at how through this paragraph, have you noticed from verse 3, look at verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ. Look at verse 4, even as he chose us in him. Look at verse 5, it says, he tested us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Like Paul is in Christ, in him, in all down through this paragraph. He's saying that this man who has arrived is going to pull it all together, including us. He is not just the orator who is going to explain life and history. He is also the heir, the inheritor who is going to take over the universe and will share it with all of his people, every single person who is in Christ. And Paul says, we have now got an inheritance, a future in him. The whole thing, you see, this is explaining that the whole of history and life is destined for Christ. Soon to land at his feet. And if we are in Christ, then it's all ours as well, right? Paul is teaching these Christians that the future is bright and the future is theirs because they are Christ's. And if you're a Christian here today, maybe you don't realize just how how rich you are. When we put our trust in Christ, we become joined to him, become one with him, and his future becomes ours as well. Just like in marriage, you know, two people become one person, and suddenly that person, say you marry somebody who actually has a, lot, has a great inheritance coming to them. Well, then that glorious future is yours now as well. You're in on it. And you see what Paul is saying? This man is going to inherit the universe, everything. And if you've put your trust in him, you're in, you have an, obtained an inheritance. You're in on it. We have married into riches in a big, big way. And Paul says, whenever he says we here in him, we have obtained inheritance, he's talking about the Jews, those who are waiting for this Messiah, the Christ, to come for centuries. And many of them had actually given up hope in the Messiah coming over centuries of disappointment. But others hadn't. And now the Messiah had come. And Paul realizes he's so excited because God's plans have finally moved forward. And the Jewish hopes that they had placed in the Messiah had been realized. And then he explains in the next verse that not just us Jews, but you Gentiles, in him you also you Ephesians, you, you that aren't Jews, you Gentiles, you have not been waiting for the Messiah, 
But you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you also have believed in him, and now you also are part of God's people. And now you also have obtained an inheritance. You're in on this just as much as us. And these Ephesians, they had put their trust in the Jewish Messiah, and now the future belonged to them just as much as the Jews. And Paul is not teaching that God has predetermined some people's destiny for salvation and others not. He is saying that anyone, look, anyone who puts their trust in Christ is now destined for the same destiny as him to inherit everything. It's that simple. And Paul calls this message, the message that these Ephesians had heard, the word of truth. You see that? The word of truth. He said, you see, he had come to Ephesus and he had told these people that the world is not an accident of time and nature. It was deliberately made by God for a very deliberate reason with a very deliberate destiny and it's well on its way towards that goal. And they had believed him. And Paul had told them that that goal is a man called Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And these Gentiles had put their trust in him, just like Paul had. And Paul says, now you're, you're in. You know, the future is your future. Your destiny is wrapped up with Jesus Christ. That's what predestined means. The future was designed even before God began the whole project. And when we put our trust in Christ, when we believe in him, we get on board with him. We get caught up into a magnificent plan that was in the heart of God before we existed, before anything existed. A plan that will come about to the praise of his glory. And Paul then says to confirm this, God gives us his Holy Spirit to everybody who puts their trust in Christ as a seal, as a stamp of genuineness and a guarantee that this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is God's stamp of approval is what he says. His sign that we are authentic, that we belong to Christ and we are part of this inheritance that Christ will obtain. Last week, Danny showed us that why God made the universe was to adopt sons and daughters for himself. And Paul, was, Paul could see that God was getting more and more sons and daughters by the day. Paul witnessed all these Gentiles like these Ephesians from every nation on earth putting their trust in Christ and becoming part of God's great inheritance, sealed with his seal of approval. Paul saw that this plan that God had made before the world was created was all coming together. And he gets very excited. And, and, and why did God gave them the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just as a stamp of approval. He is called here the guarantee, the deposit, the pledge, until we acquire possession. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So we're not there yet. We haven't reached our destination yet. But in the meantime, God has given us a deposit, a taste. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And he becomes God's guarantee that it will happen. 
And to help us know that we belong to God and that we will be God's forever, God has given us his spirit so that we start to see and feel and live that future even now before we arrive. The spirit has been given to open our eyes to God's plans for Christ and for us. I actually remember studying this book of Ephesians some years ago. And I was reading these verses in chapter one about the big words about predestination and redemption and inheritance. And I was trying to grasp hold of what this was saying. And to be honest, there were just words on a page. And I emailed Josh, my brother-in-law, to see if Professor Gooding had any notes on Ephesians at all. I'd read a few commentaries. I was looking for something more. And he managed to find me one outline of the book. That was it. And it was different than how every other book I had read divided up the book. Every other book basically said chapters 1 to 3, theology, chapters 4 to 6, practical. But his outline had three sections. And section one had this question, why did God create the universe? And that was all I needed. For the first time, I saw what these verses were saying. I saw that this is not just theology. This is God explaining to me why he made me. It all started to become real. I'm not sure about you, but I need that. Because sometimes it doesn't seem very real. Sometimes what seems real is all my problems at work. And I need those moments. Like that day, sitting on my chair, looking at Ephesians chapter 1, when God's Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see what this was saying. Not even just to see it, to feel it. I, I was one of those annoying kids you know, at school, whenever you're in the maths class and you say, Miss, why do I need to know this? And she said, for your exam, Rogers. Maybe you aren't like that. Maybe, maybe, I, I, maybe I could just go to the later chapters, go to chapter four, chapter five, and I tell you, look, bear with one another in love, with all humility and gentleness, and you would just go and do it. Or I would tell you, never be angry, it says here in Ephesians. Or never use corrupting talk, but only ever build each other up by speaking the truth in love. And off you would go speaking the truth in love. Or maybe some of you are like me. And you need to see this and feel this deep down. You need to see that this is all true. Like really true. That God has designed this universe for a reason. With a, with a very definite destiny. And things are, are well on their way towards that destiny. And I personally find that extremely practical. Nothing helps me obey the word of God than a deep conviction that I need this to prepare for an eternal destiny. Nothing helps me listen to Jesus Christ more than a realization that he is the heir of everything. Nothing including me, you know, a, a deep realization, a deep conviction that I belong to him. I'm part of his inheritance. If I read chapter one and I ask God, God, why do I need to know this? 
The answer comes back because this is your future, Rogers. You don't just need this for an exam. You need this for, to be ready for everything that is to come. There is no greater gift we need right now as God's people than God's Spirit. Paul, Paul says, in the riches of His grace, this is back in, in verse 8, in the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us wisdom and insight by making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. See that word lavished? Like Paul cannot believe the generosity of God in making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Paul cannot get over the sheer generosity. God did not have to tell us the mystery of his will, his plans and purposes. God didn't have to explain why he made this world to us mere humans. He didn't have to try to tell us here in Ephesians chapter 1 where it's all going, what the destiny is. But he wants us to know so that we can live our lives with wisdom and insight and thus prepare ourselves for that future. So that we can conform our lives towards that future and arrive in it prepared to the praise of the one who has prepared us for it. You know, imagine if we could know the future. We knew we could make a lot of money knowing which companies are going to do well in a few years' time or whatever, right? Which, which to invest in. If we knew the difficulties and dangers that were coming our way, we could prepare. Well, God is saying, this is the future. Prepare yourself for it. And for that, you need the Word of God to teach you, and you need the Holy Spirit to make those words real. Not just words on a page, to make them real. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10. This is Luke chapter 10, Jesus speaking about his disciples. It says, In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are your, the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you desire to be more switched on than the smartest people in the world? more clued in than the brain boxes of business and academia, then you come before the Lord like a little child. And you ask your father to make these words in Ephesians real to you. To make them not just words on a page, but to truly see and feel what this is saying. 
because kings and prophets desire to know this. This is knowledge humankind has longed for throughout all the centuries. What is the world for? Where is it all going? Christ here is claiming to be the destiny. He says, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. And if we grasp that and prepare ourselves in advance, then when that day comes in the fullness of time, we truly shall be to the praise of his glory. God wants us to be ready to fulfill our potential so that he can show us off to the universe alongside his son. He can say, look at my glorious sons and daughters. They lived their lives with real wisdom. They knew the future. I showed it to them through the word and through the spirit and they conformed their lives to that future. They gave themselves to developing their moral characters. They conformed their lives to Christ. They fought for the truth. And now look at them. They're glorious. You see, Paul foresaw real dangers with these Ephesians. That they were starting to waste their lives and their potential. Living, living as if this world is all that matters. Giving themselves to making money, to playing sports, to trying to have a great time, a big family, a lovely home, bundling along day by day and never asking where is it all, what's it all for? Where is it all going? So in this paragraph, Paul begins to teach them this is where it's going. And then Paul gets on his knees to pray that this truth becomes real to them, more than just words on a page. Look at what Paul says next in verses 15 to 23. Paul says, remembering you in my prayers, Paul is on his knees. For God to give these Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that the spirit of God would open their eyes of their heart so that they might know the hope to which they have been called, the future that they have become a part of the certain future to which God has called them. He knew without the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, these would just be words on the page, big words like predestined. And maybe we're not so different. Maybe some of us need more than just practical instructions, though we do need that also. Some of us need a deep work of God's Spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that the future becomes so real that it affects our lives in the present. You know, the Ephesians were starting to take their foot off the gas spiritually. They were getting distracted by real life. And whenever we read 2 Timothy, it seems that they eventually rejected Paul as too extreme. And whenever you read the last book in the, in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus himself has to call on the church of, at Ephesus to repent because they have left their first love. Their zeal for Christ waned in the busyness of life. And it seems that they didn't really heed this letter of Paul's. But this letter hasn't been wasted. God has preserved it right to this day. Right down the centuries to us here this morning. To give us a chance to understand his plans and purposes from before the foundation of the world. And let us pray that we do. And it helps us live with real wisdom in a way that prepares ourselves for that future. That we might be to the praise of his glory and thus fulfill the very reason for which we were made. So if someone asks you what is your favorite word, what do you, want, what do you have to say? Predestined. Because that means that 
I am now destined for a destiny that God had in mind before he made me or anything else. And if you're mowing the lawn and, and the point comes, what, what is the point in all of this? You remember predestined. There is a point. There's a plan. Life is going somewhere. It's going to Jesus Christ. He is the heir of everything, including me. And most useful of all, if your five-year-old keeps asking why, you say, predestined. And that'll stop the questions. And you tell them there is an ultimate day in the fullness of time when all our questions will be answered. Let us give thanks for that. Father, we do thank you for explaining these things to us. We don't deserve it. Lord, as, as Paul says here, you have lavished in the generosity of your grace us with so much goodness. You have given us your word. You've preserved even this letter for 2,000 years that we might understand what was in your heart and in your plans before the foundation of the world. And you have given us your Holy Spirit that these words may become more than just words on a page, that they might become real, that we might see it and feel it, and that it might become a part of us even before we arrive at that destiny, that it might change our life in the present. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would change our life, that we would conform our lives more towards that glorious future that you have prepared for us, that we might live our life with wisdom and insight and prioritize the right things in life so that we are ready to be to the praise of your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.